Women's health needs, and especially our hormonal needs, are finally receiving the attention we've deserved for years. And Hormone Harmony, a new sponsor of SelfWork, rates as one of the top five hormonal supplement companies out there. If you're a young woman struggling with that week before your period when moods can be all over the place, and I certainly don't miss that, or older when you're so glad menopause is here, but if you're like me, you sometimes stare at yourself in the mirror and ask, where did I go? Hormone Harmony has become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media, and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Basically, if you breathe in and out slowly twice, that's the amount of time it takes for one more woman to understand she can reach out for help, no matter what her age, through Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code SELFWORK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code SELFWORK for 15% off today. This is SELFWORK and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At SELFWORK, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret. And self-work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self-work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self-Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've lived in Fayetteville, Arkansas for now 30 years. And I started self-work to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological or emotional issues. Maybe you're in therapy. To those of you who are looking for some answers to issues you're having with yourself or maybe with a loved one. But then also to a third group of you. Those of you who think psychotherapy is something that only weak or fragile or weird people do. (laughs) Maybe even self-centered. But I'm here to suggest to you that that's not true. It takes a lot of courage to enter therapy. It takes a lot of courage to self-reveal. So this podcast is my effort to help you do your own self-work, whether you do that on your own or with a therapist. Generally, when someone is called a bundle of nerves, they're not describing a state of being that's pleasant or desired. Those nerves could range from the fairly common experience of self-consciousness, where you have a heightened sense of yourself, to actual social anxiety, when the fear of being perceived negatively or being scrutinized by others can lead you to avoid interaction altogether and have complete dread of a party or a meeting, going to church or to a family gathering. Of course, anxiety can have a very real source, such as if you fear scrutiny or even abuse from a parent or a coach or a spouse. But in social anxiety, the most innocuous situation can hold dread. Today, we're going to talk about what you can do about that dread, how you can allow for helpful self-consciousness, or maybe a working term for that would be healthy self-awareness, but also how to cope with real fear of being in social settings altogether. Your social muscle, the ability to be with others comfortably and non-self-consciously, can grow stronger. But what the pandemic has taught us is that even in the most socially comfortable among us, that muscle can atrophy as well. And if it was never strong in the first place, then the task to exercise it can seem very daunting. So how can you learn how to stop telling yourself that you must look stupid or you're out of step or you're looking weird and begin instead to become more comfortable in your own skin and work with your anxieties around being with others? That's self-work for today. The listener voicemail is from a woman who sent me a message that ended abruptly with the words, it's women like you. I'll share that voicemail with you. I'll share my response. 
and what concerns me the most about her message. It may not be what you think, by the way. Certainly, a little healthy criticism is a good thing. First, let's hear from one of our wonderful sponsors, Athletic Greens, or AG1. It's so helpful as you approach whatever holiday stress you might have to start your morning with self-care. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work, and I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I've recently been involved with the free app MealMind. What's MealMind? These are recorded sessions with real people who agree to talk about their real mental and emotional issues with a real therapist and then have that conversation shared with anyone who wants to listen, again, for free. So you can listen into a session and learn how to understand a problem in a different way or hear how the very process of talking with a therapist can turn on some light bulbs for you because you see and hear that done for the patient. And that perspective can hopefully lead you to feel more hopeful and not so stuck in your own problem. I'd recommend the app highly, by the way. I think their sessions are helpful to hear and experience. And like I say, they're free. I don't think my sessions or my recordings are going to be available quite yet, but I'll let you know when they are. Anyway, to my point, the young man that I worked with, let's call him David, a husband and father of two kids entered the session talking about his anxiety growing as his children were becoming more rambunctious and had minds of their own and frankly wanted to do activities outside of the home and with their friends. He spoke about an intense shame of how he'd become irritable and even angry when things seemed out of control for him, when the more rational part of him realized that his kids' ideas and requests were quite normal. Wanting to have a play date with a friend was fine. It was his response that wasn't healthy, and he was filled with self-loathing because of it. I won't go deeply into what we discussed, although you can probably tell that the session was just as much about how he could show more understanding and compassion toward himself for his anxiety as it was about the anxiety itself. It had likely been born from an earlier situation where he had very little control and had developed fears of not being in control, or he needed things to be orderly so he could know what was coming so he could be prepared. He said he'd always had anxiety, but said it in a very self-deprecating way. There was a lot for us to work on. 
I've seen so many people that struggle with both extreme self-consciousness. Please note that that's very different from self-centeredness, which is when you consider or experience something, your first reaction is to think about how it's going to affect you. (laughs) I liked the distinction that Psychology Today's Tara Well made. She discussed self-consciousness when it becomes severe as self-awareness on steroids. Those are my words. She divides self-awareness into two categories. These are interesting. First, internal self-awareness, like knowing when you're internally getting angry or when you're hungry even. That's internal self-awareness. And then there's external self-awareness, when you're aware of how you may be being perceived. Of course, this could also be totally off. The greater your internal self-awareness grows, the more likely, she says, you can become internally self-conscious, meaning you can ruminate for hours or days about something, what you want to do, what to wear to a party, what you should text back to someone. So that's internal self-consciousness. If you tend to be more externally self-aware, again, she's sort of talking about this relationship between self-awareness becoming self-consciousness. So if you tend to be more externally self-aware, then you can start fearing others' judgment and try to avoid any attention on you or, in the worst case, develop social anxiety. Many of you know I've experienced a form of social anxiety called performance anxiety, and I don't have to be on a stage to feel it. Let's say I'm at a committee meeting where the chair of the committee is going around the table asking each one of us to introduce ourselves. It used to be that my heart would start racing. My internal self-awareness was going nuts with questions about what should I say, should I try to be funny, and on and on. My external self-awareness was wondering if my shakiness shows. Now, I've found ways to manage this performance anxiety through the years by trying to stay very externally focused, jotting down the names of the people around the table, for example, and something about them, rather than nervously awaiting my turn. The whole thing seems very self-centered, doesn't it? But that's anxiety for you. The focus is so hard to shift outward when your body is sending you signals to get the heck out of there. But I'd like to dive a little bit into how the pandemic affected anxiety. But before that, let's hear from Ozark Mountain Medicine, a product that I use when my own stress and anxiety is making my neck feel like concrete. And I hope you'll try it too as we enter another holiday season. Diagnosed with degenerative disc in my back when I was in my 20s, I've long been a seeker of alternative ways to help reduce inflammation. And I can't believe that the best product I've ever found is produced here in Northwest Arkansas. Ozark Mountain Medicine, located on a small boutique farm in the Ozark Mountains under the careful watch of CBD guru Bill Morgan, is a grassroots operation which produces some of the highest quality CBD available on the market. Unlike marijuana, which contains THC, which is what makes it mood-altering, CBD isn't the same and is legal in all states. Ozark Mountain Medicine's products contain at least 16 varieties of hemp, where other CBD products may use only one. Think of it as a healing gumbo for your joint and muscle aches, and you've got the picture. What's most important to me and to you is that it works. I've been told at least three times in my life that I needed to be reassessed for back surgery, and three times I've kept walking, getting massages, and for the last three years, steadfastly using this product. You can take it orally in tincture form, or calming salves are available, which is what I prefer. The other benefits of taking it include immune support, increased relaxation, reduced anxiety, and improved sleep. So here's their fabulous offer for self-work listeners. All you have to do is use this promo link, ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash self-work, and you'll receive 10% off your order. 
I never suggest a product to you that I haven't used myself, and I reap this one's benefits each and every day. That code again is ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork. Sometimes the best solutions are right under your nose. So try a bit of Ozark Mountain Medicine CBD and see for yourself. Now let's talk about the effect of the pandemic on social anxiety. There's a wonderful article on this topic in the New York Times, which will be in your show notes. And it tells a story of several, especially younger people, 13 to 25. It's at that age where you begin to hone that social muscle we talked about in the intro. And the pandemic put a huge halt to that. So if you're having a harder time learning to chit-chat or make small talk, or you want to have a drink or vape or whatever your particular escape route is before you go out, you're far from alone. There's even a slang term for it in college. It's called pre-gaming or pre-drinking, where before a sporting event or a party, people get together to party before the party. And guess what that's about? It's about social anxiety and potential addiction, of course, but initially social anxiety. When you do this, maybe extreme self-consciousness magically seems to go away. But the problem is, obviously, that the only skill you learn is that by drinking, you can feel less anxious. But then after the party, you realize that you haven't strengthened your own social muscle. All you've done is strengthened your habit of drinking to handle social anxiety. The article includes a story about a young woman who'd been successfully strengthening that muscle, and then the pandemic hit. Her name is Lauren. She'd gone from being afraid of tripping while throwing out the trash, again, sort of looking foolish in public or even in just her neighborhood, to getting comfortable with dining by herself at restaurants. And that's a form of exposure therapy, which we'll talk about in a second. And then in January 2020, she even managed to read her poetry at an open mic night. More than a year later, she's still trying to push herself to arrive at that level again. And she says, I feel like I've taken a couple of steps back, but I don't want to stay within the four walls of my house forever because that's only going to make the social anxiety worse. She's a very wise lady. So for a minute, let's go back to David, the young man I met through Meal Mind. What I heard in his description of his anxiety was a huge component of shame. I rationally know the things that my kids ask me to do are normal parent-father things, and I hate that I'm afraid or anxious. So that's the first step in growing that social muscle. Stop shaming yourself for it. There's probably a really good reason it exists if we go back and try to trace when it began. Or maybe it's a genetic tendency. Maybe your mother was worried constantly or your dad had OCD. So then anxiety, just like depression, can be learned. Let me repeat that. Anxiety can be learned. Let's use a former client named Ramona as an example. Ramona's mom had had terrible either PTSD or perhaps even she was somewhat paranoid, but she was highly distrustful of others and startled quite easily. In fact, she had responses that were highly dramatic to what were normal things that happened at the home. For example, if someone knocked on their back door, Ramona's mom taught her kids to hit the floor as if they were in imminent danger. Now, this was 30 years ago as a context. I realize now that our sense of protectiveness is heightened for many reasons. But maybe it was the postman or some kid selling candy for her school. And so what was a fairly normal thing to happen had this aura of danger. When I saw Ramona, she was a med student. It was so fascinating because as long as she had on her white coat, she did great. She was the doctor. But at home, she had to fight the urge 
to hit the floor whenever anything happened that was unexpected. She couldn't walk to her mailbox. And when I met her, she was afraid of becoming agoraphobic, meaning being afraid of leaving her home. Even maybe her white coat was losing its power. Gradually, we worked on the fact that the power was not her white coat, but her mindset in the white coat. Her focus was very different. Her expectations of herself and her environment were different. And we worked on her shame. How can someone who's a doctor be afraid of getting the mail? Shame wasn't helpful. Self-acceptance was the key. And then, working bit by bit, just like Lauren had done, to challenge her fears one by one. So that's the first step. Realizing how much shame you're carrying around as you say things to yourself like, I'm so stupid to worry about this, or I hate that I feel this way. Remember, acceptance doesn't imply resignation. It only implies that you are clear and you can tolerate knowing that you are anxious, maybe even knowing how it got started or maybe not. Shame will tell you you're a bad or inferior person because your anxiety exists. You have to challenge and then let go of that belief. For example, when I commented to David, does it feel that you need to know what's about to happen, that you need order? His eyes got misty. And then I said, maybe that's where some of your anxiety comes from. Something has made you feel that way. And he shook his head in agreement, not able to talk for a second. That's when I saw him let go of a little shame. The second thing I suggested to him is that he talk to his family about his anxiety. You want to do it clearly in an age-appropriate way, but then you want to describe your nervousness or your anxiety. I suggested to him that he talk to his kids about what anxiety felt like to him. Maybe they feel it too sometimes. So if you're transparent about your anxiety and the current fact that sometimes it sneaks up on you, then that very transparency can alleviate any leftover shame and make it something that you and your loved ones can talk about. The Times article mentioned exposure therapy. That's when you choose on your own or with a therapist's guidance to expose yourself to the thing that you fear. So what does that look like? You want to begin to visualize something that gives you anxiety, or you want to take very small steps to begin to learn how to tolerate it more. For example, if you dread the grocery store, which I tell you, many people do. I've had lots of people tell me they go shopping at one o'clock in the morning so they don't have to see people. So if you dread going to the grocery store, then first just go park in the parking lot. Watch the people going in and out. Don't judge yourself. All of those people don't have any problem walking to the grocery store. No, actually see those people. Maybe two of them are arguing. Maybe a mom looks really tired. Notice others and stop thinking you're the only one who's struggling. We all struggle. It's just yours happens to be going to the grocery store. Okay. Then you take it one step further, and you go sit on a bench by the entrance to the grocery store. Or you go into the store and come immediately out. But I'll look stupid, you might say. My answer to that? One person may notice you for a second, but then they're back thinking about themselves. Transparency and self-acceptance can help lead you to trying to work with your fears. Just be honest. I have anxiety. Okay, it doesn't define me. The third step is to realize the direction that anxiety inherently leads you. Whatever makes you anxious offers a clear direction of what you can choose to learn. Wendy Suzuki, whose new book, Good Anxiety, I'm reading actually now, says, There's a gift of productivity that comes from anxiety. So often anxiety kind of shuts us down. We can't focus. However, 
here's a gift that can come from your anxiety, and that is the what-if list that comes with your anxiety. What if I don't know the answer? What if they ask me about this part of the book and I can't remember the study? Everybody can turn your what-if list into a to-do list. It's satisfying because, again, going back to evolution, our stress response and the anxiety response evolved to be resolved with an action. Our stress is getting our muscles active to do something to take some action. So many of you have let me know that one of the reasons you listen to self-work is because of the emphasis on what you can do about it. So that's the point. Our emotional anxieties and fears can be worked through bit by bit, and the gift is the fact that they point us in a direction we need to go. You can choose to never do what you're anxious about, or you can choose to practice tolerating it. For example, maybe in the past you found an excuse not to go to some open house that a friend is having. This time tell yourself, I'll stay 10 minutes. Then go and try to find in that 10 minutes the other person in the room that also looks uncomfortable. Don't worry, this usually isn't a problem. They're the one that's hanging around the food so they have something to talk about, or is helping the host in order to give themselves something to do, or is taking a tour of the house just to get them out of the main area. Anxiety is very common. It's just that some people have a more proven or practiced way of coping with it. But you can do that too, just like Lauren did, one thing at a time. Detachment can help here as well. And I've talked several times on self-work about naming your anxiety. I call mine Bob. Naming your anxiety shifts your perception as something that's happening to you, but isn't you. You don't tell yourself, oh, I'm so anxious. Instead, you say, mm, Bob's here, or I can feel Bob arriving on the scene. Then get externally focused. You know, one of the guys I've trained with from time to time always says, now rinse and repeat, meaning go to it again. So here's the steps. You lean into your anxiety. You work with it and not hate it. You let go of shame. You're transparent so you can talk about it openly. You look for the direction it's sending you or the important message it may have for you. You detach and see it as not me, but something that's affecting me. And then rinse and repeat. You gotta practice. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. I decided to use this voicemail today not to prove anything, but to make a point about how people are talking to one another these days. I don't like what's going on. Many of us don't. It can lead to resentment and fighting about what's right and even violence. So this voicemail is from someone who thinks I'm joking about narcissism. But to me, this way is the wrong way to try to begin a dialogue. In fact, there's no effort at dialogue. I ran into your self-work on iTunes and thought, cool, we need someone doing series about uh, self-work. And uh, I see where you also contributed a lot to mental health sources that I definitely find credible. But then you joke about being narcissistic, and I thought, how weird for a person in your profession to joke as if that's funny. And then you describe what NPD isn't, and i that's usually how most authentic, ethical mental health professionals do to get that out of the way, to get the what people think narcissism is out of the way. And then you go on to give uh, inaccurate, outdated, mythological, (laughs) statistically impossible information about 
narcissism. And I thought, wow, that's so revealing who you are and how generous you are with the truth. Wow. I just can't believe women like you exist. In fact, I think women like you. So what I did was I waited a couple of days thinking about how I wanted to respond, and I wrote her an email. I said, hello. I've waited a couple of days to respond to you, but I hope to set up a conversation with you that hopefully we could both learn from and not have it devolve into accusations or labels. If you're interested in that conversation, please email me. If not, I understand. I never heard back from her. So, it's women like you. That's the phrase that brings to mind so much of what I hear and probably you hear from people who disagree slightly or vehemently. The tendency now in our culture to label each other before we've even had time to listen to or get to know someone can be really devastating. I actually would have loved to have heard what she had to say. And if I was wrong or outdated or whatever about something, I'd be glad to talk about it and learn. I did look her up and she does a lot of writing about narcissism. The only thing I can figure out that she might think I'm laughing about is when I say that I'm just narcissistic enough and then I go on and talk about making the decision to begin putting my work on the internet. I was referring here to healthy narcissism and I pulled a quote from a recent article on the website Psyche. It's really talking about the spectrum of narcissism. Essentially, we're not either Mother Teresa or someone with NPD. Most of us fall on a curve in between the two, exhibiting personalities that either have more narcissistic elements or fewer. For most people, narcissistic qualities aren't considered damaging enough to be diagnosable. In fact, some narcissistic traits might even have positive aspects. With personality, there's always a trade-off. So, I'm not sure what she was referring to, and perhaps I'll never know. But what I really wish, and the reason why I brought this voicemail to your attention, is I'm trying to say, let's have respectful discussions. Let's learn from one another, rather than labeling someone with malintent. Thank you so much for being here on this 313th episode of Self Work. I'm going to be recording one more, and then I have to go on my medical leave. We've got guest hosts appearing. We've got some great interviews that are coming up, and I sure am hoping that I'll be back in the saddle in January. You can reach me by email at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can subscribe to my website or subscribe where you are, wherever you listen, That's great. But you can also subscribe at my website, drmargaretrutherford.com. And if you do, you'll receive a weekly newsletter that talks about what I'm doing, maybe gives you some ideas about some books that you might want to pick up. It's a weekly newsletter. I promise that's all. And you also can read my weekly blog post. So again, that's drmargaretrutherford.com. I have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And I'd love to have you there as well. So thank you for sharing your interest and your passion for self-work with your friends, with your neighbors. Please go out there and have respectful discourse and discussions with people that you don't agree with. You'll both learn, hopefully. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.